0: Did Mike McGrady and the other Newsday journalists pull off the perfect literary hoax with Naked Came the Stranger? Well, it's complicated. Welcome to Tell Me a Hoax, a show about the hoaxes, humbugs, and pranks that capture our imaginations. I'm Craig Renfro, and I'm obsessed with hoaxes.
1: And I'm Sarah Creech, and I like hoaxes. Two thumbs up.
0: We're continuing our discussion of the 1969 hoax novel, Naked Came the Stranger. Sarah, you did a great job with the origin and creation of the ruse last time.
1: Thanks, Craig. Uh,
0: Now I'm going to tell you about how the hoax was revealed and its legacy.
1: I truly don't know enough about this. (laughs)
0: Okay, good. Well, here we go. But before I do that, actually, you know, you introduced me to one of their models for bad writing last time, Harold Robbins. Sorry? (laughs) Sorry. So I I want to begin by talking about another of their influences, and that's Jacqueline Suzanne, specifically her novel, The Valley of the Dolls. My copy, I'm a book collector, so I know you had the Kindle version of Naked Came the Stranger, but I actually had one of the original paperbacks from 1970, and it has a fake blurb on the back that explicitly compares the book to Valley of the Dolls. Nice. And so this was also in their mind when they're creating the hoax. Do you know anything about Jacqueline, Suzanne or Valley of the Dolls?
1: I'm embarrassed to say no. Are you going to read that quote for me?
0: Oh, the, from the back of the yeah,
1: novel? Yeah. You got me really <laughs> intrigued.
0: On the back it says, the year's most talked about book, Penelope Ash's scorching novel, makes Portnoy's Complaint and Valley of the Dolls read like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. <laughs> and this is by this is from Long Island Press. I assume that it's fake because all the characters are from Long Island, but maybe it's not. Maybe it was from an actual review from Long sure Island Press.
1: I'm pretty sure
0: not. Yeah. But, you know, so either way, if they even intentionally we're doing it, or people were picking up on the connection to this other novel. So, Valley of the Dolls was published in 1966, which is the year, if you remember from last time, that McGrady conceived of the hoax. It became a colossal bestseller. During her lifetime, the author is Jacqueline and Suzanne. The novel was included in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most popular book in the world. It's about three women trying to make it in New York and LA, their experiences with fame, sex, and drugs. The dolls in the title are pills. It's based on Suzanne's time as an actress, and the characters are based on famous people she knew Judy Garland, Carol Landis, Dean Martin, Ethel Merman. So, on one level, it acts like a work of gossip. It is notoriously full of plot to dramatic, melodramatic levels. It was made into a movie that she hated that became a campy cult classic. It inspired Sex in the City. There was a book from the year 2020 called dolls 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 deep inside valley of the dolls the most beloved bad book and movie of all time and it is still on the best-selling books of all time list very high
1: actually. So in my episode i said somebody probably bought it on amazon you know mm-hmm. oops just now somebody somebody <laughs> downloaded it probably. is that description meant to deter me because i'm actually pretty intrigued i kind of want to go Oh, read The
0: Valley of the Dolls? Reus, no, I mean I... it's an intriguing book. And that's what's interesting. This is one of the books that they are critiquing. And so that's kind of what I wanted to bring it up and talk about it in terms of this idea of what's behind the hoax. Mm-hmm. Let's get a sense of the writing. I sent you a couple quotes from Valley of the Dolls if you want to read read well, read the first one and then we'll talk about it.
1: First one? Mm-hmm. Quotes from the book? Mhm. First one. Let's see. I've got a library copy of Gone with the Wind, a quart of milk, and all these cookies. Wow, what an orgy! Ooh, <laughs> ooh, is that like an <laughs> orgy of snacks? I think so. Why? There's well, well, <laughs> nothing about milk and orgies. Mm-hmm for well, various reasons
0: yeah i mean i think it's supposed to be sort of a tongue-in-cheek and, and i think it's funny because one of the things they were calling out mcgrady was calling out was the the sex in novels and so this was I one mean, of
1: literally the, in every uh, line and right. metaphor mm-hmm, apparently yeah. i mean at least she's going for figurative language <laughs> it's true so star right. for you jacqueline mm-hmm. but gross <laughs> Gross. <sorry. laughs> milk and sex i mean i think it's i'm a, not putting it joke. I'm not putting it together. I think this
0: is her idea. The character's idea of an orgy is just a, a good book and some milk and cookies. Mm-hmm. You're not the, convincing me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then, so what about the next? next oh, part? I have to read the next
1: one? Yeah. Okay. Take drugs and you'll end up killing yourself when your fiance tells you he only loves you for your boobs. Ouch. Okay,
0: so it was sort of because of lines like that that it was scandalous in its day, which today seems pretty tame. That's but, nothing. <laughs> right, but it talked frankly about sex and abortion and female relationships. And this was maybe why it was an example of what Mitt Grady et al thought was wrong with literature. Let's go back to the hoax. So they are seeing writers like Harold Robbins, like Jacqueline, Suzanne, go up the bestseller list. And so they create their own bad book to try to break into that bestseller list as we talked about last time and they do they create it they publish it and I did want to mention in their quest to publish it they did not go through the normal channels one of the things about this hoax is that it wasn't really a hoax on the publishing industry itself if we talk about and hopefully we'll talk about later literary hoaxes they're often on people in the industry rather than readers necessarily it's trying to fool editors and things like that to publish your work
1: definitely more contemporary hoaxes mm-hmm. yeah. are like that but right. I I thought that's that's what's so interesting to me about this particular hoax is that it's really targeted at readers in a mm-hmm. pointed way, mm-hmm. which, which we talked a little bit about last time.
0: Yeah. So the way they got it published was that McGrady went to Lyle Stewart, who quote specialized in trash. So in I terms love of his publishing, that. right?
1: What's his Twitter handle, Craig? <laughs>
0: Trash specializer? I don't know.
1: Specialist. <laughs> there we go. Trash, Trash specialist. specialist. Very good. For your imagination. Uh, exactly. <laughs> In their first
0: meeting, McGrady told Stewart about the prank, and he said, "Hey, I'll publish it without even reading it first. He may have never read it." for all we know. I just want to make the point that they did not have to go through any gatekeepers to get this novel published and that the publisher was in on the prank. That's Um,
1: important to know. mm -hmm.
0: So it was published, as far as I can tell, in January 1969. The hoax was revealed in August of 1969. The Wall Street Journal had caught wind that something was up with the novel. Though the Newsday team asked them specifically, hey, don't don't run with the story because they wanted it to keep going, you know, the hoax to continue a little bit longer. The Wall Street Journal said that they had enough for the story and so they were going to run it. Mike McGrady and the rest decided to come out and then it ended up that not just the Wall Street Journal reported on this, but tons of newspapers did. And I think part of that coverage, I mean, not only was it a good story, but I, I have a feeling that these other journalists had a sense of pride that one of their own pulled off such a Such a scheme.
1: Absolutely. Camaraderie. (laughs)
0: Right. They even appeared on TV. So on the David Frost TV show, Penelope Ash was supposed to come out and talk about her latest bestseller. But instead, 25 writers came out, mostly men, and the ringleader, Mike McGrady, explained the hoax.
1: There's a picture of that that we'll have linked to the episode Mm -hmm. of that team. Do you think people were really tuning in to see Penelope Ash? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice slip of the tongue there i see e no i i mean i think by this time maybe the hoax was out because it had been covered in the news i think people were just interested to hear about the hoax itself okay. i mean i i think but you know
1: well there's gonna always inevitably be like 10 people that yeah, did not right. know well, like yeah, i, I mean, would there'd be, be that person be, and yeah, yeah, be like, i'm like sure right <laughs> <laughs> and then who's mm-hmm. that guy? Surprise.
0: <laughs> this actually does remind me of a fairly recent event, which is a moment in the 2021, I'm going to pronounce this perfectly correct, Primero... Planta Literary Prize. I did a terrible job there. I'm Perfect, sorry. Craig. Yes, thank you. This is the Larry Prize in Spain, and it's worth one million euros. Ooh. So it is an impressive prize. So they had the ceremony, but instead of the winner, who was Carmen Mola, three men came out on stage to accept the award, and it was discovered that she was a pseudonym for these three established crime writers. And, and then it, they
1: had to split a million euros. It's true. Three ways. It's true. It was a three-way. I mm, think three-way. that was a bad idea. Probably.
0: I mean, you know, 300,000 sounds fine. That's, you know, that's pretty good. Chump change. Uh-huh. <laughs> this actually is a trend, a surprising trend, in recent publishing, particularly in thrillers written by men who are using female or gender-neutral pen names. Mm-hmm. So you have Riley Sager, AJ Ben S.J. Watson, J.P. Delaney, S.K. Tremaine. And so you can, you can tell the initial thing going on here, which is interesting because that kind of mimics, if you remember, J.K. Rowling had to do that with her name to be gender neutral when she was first publishing Harry Potter. And so it's, in a way, at least some people are thinking it's kind of flipped, right? That they're getting more attention if they're publishing under these female pseudonyms or at least gender neutral names.
1: And why is that?
0: Well, I, I think there's this idea that women read more, that the people buying and reading books are women. I don't
1: think that's just an idea. Right. Well, <laughs> I think that's backed by. No, X. I mean, it's true. Yeah. I mean, sorry. <laughs> right. yeah. truth it's the yes, big one. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's plenty of research on that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so that's the audience, and some male writers feel that it's better to market this way. And a female persona. Right. To yeah. female readers. Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of the characters, the primary characters in these books are women. So I guess
1: my question is is it that they, Think that they need it for marketing, or that they need it to be able to write female protagonists.
0: Mm-hmm. It feels very market driven. That I don't think they feel like they. I feel like they it feel like they, both. It does seem to be aimed at selling the book, and so that part of that could be be this idea of co-opting. It's we,
1: appropriation, right? The female experience belongs to whom, and so mm-hmm. if men feel uncomfortable in the current climate trying Mm -hmm. to write it from the female perspective Mm -hmm. the only credibility that they have is to change their Mm -hmm. names
0: Mm -hmm. That's definitely the view now, right? Is in literature, you should write from your own experience only. We could debate that, the pros and cons of that. But you can see that now in the way people are trying to sell their work. And because of that, they're being accused of using these female pseudonyms to sell more books. And so were the men who came up with Carmen Mola. They were saying that this is just using better marketing. And you can see the story is better, the backstory of the author. So for her, she was supposedly a mother of three, a math professor who wrote ultra violent crime novels at night and you can see that story being sellable the same way penelope ash's story for naked came the stranger which is here's this suburban housewife who's writing her ideas about sex copades for the hoax novel
1: you have to have a platform craig right this is the platform (laughs) yeah and you are a brand this is the world we live in
0: everyone is a brand it's true let's talk about sales so branding, branding brings you sales. The sales of Naked King, The Stranger. So it's published in 1969. Its first printing was 20,000. And that sold out by September 1st, 1, 1969. Wow. The second printing was a run of 25,000 books. Just to give you some context, the average debut author print run nowadays, at least, is three to 6,000 books. So you, you can see it was selling well. According to Publishers Weekly, about 90,000 copies of Naked Came the Stranger had been sold by October 13th, 1969, and by December 15th, 1969, 110,000 copies of the book were in print. So at its height reached number three on the New York Times bestseller list, right behind a new novel by... Jacqueline Suzanne. Nice. Yeah. But by 1970, there's the little talk of it in printing journals and things like that to keep up with the print runs of things. And so essentially it's out of print after 1970, Hmm. Uh, except for again, later coming into print digitally with, you know, Kindle and stuff like that. By the way, so if we go back to Valley of the Dolls, it has continued to be in print. And by 2016, it had sold 31 million copies.
1: 30 million 31 million mm-hmm. so 31 million and one because i'm going to buy it <laughs> okay, and read it not uh, because i expect that it's going to be good but i feel that i need to complete this journey okay. and i've read like i've been able to see excerpts but i didn't read mm-hmm. the entire book mm-hmm. i'm sorry to admit that <laughs> all right that's fine that was not part of the required reading right. just no, naked no. came the stranger exactly. and some excerpts from harold robbins <laughs> right. and jacqueline suzanne but now uh, i want to read her whole book mm-hmm.
0: Along with Harold Robbins? No. <laughs> okay. so Sadly. Uh, let's talk about Reception. So the book uh, comes out. I could only find two reviews before the hoax is revealed. So one is by Joan Hoagland from the Library Journal. And this is her review. This is a silly little first novel of no value trying for the sex and games market. The tone is flip. The humor weak. The development of motivation nil. No library needs this book.
1: I love that review. So, Way so, to go, Library Journal. Keeping the standards <laughs> high.
0: So that was, yeah, so is pretty
1: negative. Can't pull one over on that lady. <laughs> no. No library needs this book. <laughs> so, Good
0: for her. You know, so the New York Times review was just a paragraph by Martin Levin. It would be nice if this book could be judged by its cover, which is easily the best part. The jacket offers the stern view of an unidentified lady, naked and a stranger. See? Beyond this artwork, the rest is all downhill. And then it goes on to describe a little bit of the plot. In the category of erotic fantasy, this one rates about a C. The passing grade is for the author's attempt to twine a few strands of humor into her wishful thinking.
1: Okay, New York Times... That was a little nicer than I was expecting. It's so polite.
0: And it got, rec- I mean, not all books get reviewed in the New York Times. That's so. very true. Mm-hmm. That's
1: sacred space. So, so it's getting attention. I do love that they appreciated the cover as much as I do <laughs> that Hungarian erotic art piece. It is rather lovely. Yeah. How many books did
0: they sell just based on
1: the cover, right? Probably you know? many, especially because her lipstick is keeping tally of her new sport, which is getting her groove Conquest, back yeah. her conquests <laughs> so i really do love that detail of the cover they did a great job with the cover and i had the exact same experience of it being completely downhill from there yeah <laughs> it's a <laughs> tough book to get through like these people had to read the whole book to review it <laughs> well i
0: don't know that's that's questionable all right well, uh, <laughs> because you love
1: it i know you love it oh, i do not love you it. love it i, I hate I it, it. <laughs> we will talk about that uh-huh later right.
0: yeah okay except I'm definitely not taking the side of I love it <laughs> I don't is, know Greg you defend it no.
1: every time I, what <laughs> i have not
0: defended it. all right so the only truly positive if this can be called positive review was after the hoax and this is from Publishers Weekly this is that stone age gas of a dirty novel that the folks at Newsday about 26 of them got together and wrote for fun it's as bad as a book can be deliberately and as much fun to read as it must have been to write. Some newspaper men have all the luck. End, we'll
1: quote. End quote. End <laughs> quote. And I would say like a lot of time. A lot, you know, <laughs> they, had a, they had to use their time to write this book so good for them that they had leisure time and they spent it this way it is a great hoax like it is I like the reviews after the hoax I think Mm -hmm. that you know as a meta fiction experience right like I'm aware that I'm reading about bad writing bad sex writing by a group writing experiment I think is really fascinating. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah it's interesting to think about that in terms of how they created it and what you were drawn to try to write poorly but I guess we can talk about that It's
1: literally the only component it that keeps my attention <laughs> and there's so much sex in this book and that is the only reason that i can turn the page which was not the intention
0: right so let's talk about the the intention and how that went let's talk about the influences it's had its legacy as we talk about this i kind of want to split it into i think there's kind of two levels of this first it's sort of the book itself the people involved but then it's a more philosophical and aesthetic critique that is behind the hoax itself. And so I think we can talk about those two separately. Let's start with the book. As I said, it didn't really have much of a life beyond 1969, 1970. Though, sadly, that's the case for most books published with or without a hoax, unfortunately. But there was a film version in 1975, an adult film, you may not be surprised to find out, by Radley Metzger using the pseudonym Henry Paris. So So he just went with the guy's name. Yes.
1: Because when you're creating porn well you, you have know. more credibility to have a guy's name as the creator
0: uh yeah i, I think he just didn't want his name on it <laughs> but right but director, think about that yeah, like he
1: didn't appropriate a woman's name to it's create true. Porn, yeah no no right? i mean he definitely kept the a time male name. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think it would be true today for the most part too i don't know that you would put a female creator's hmm. name on porn now i know there are more women making better porn mm-hmm And this is probably not where you want to go, but maybe we should go here. Like there are women making more equitable, more sensual, more consensual styles of porn. And still they're in the minority. So I still think men are predominantly creating porn content, Mm -hmm. at least movie style. And on set also mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, takes
1: a team, just like the news day, folks. I'm I'm sure it does. So there's some women, but it's probably (laughs) mostly men. Yeah, but we can confirm this if you want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm okay.
0: Yeah, I, I don't I don't know much about the porn industry currently. I mean, one thing I wanted to talk about was he made this film from the book, but in the loosest sense. So it had no input from the original writers, from the Newsday team. And this often happens. Someone will buy the rights to the book, and then they'll just create a completely different story for the movie. In this case, it might be that the movie is better than the book. Did you watch it? I did not watch it, but I was able to find much better reviews of the movie than of the book. Wow. Yeah, so it did get screened, and the Newsday team did attend one of the showings. Someone yelled, author, author, and 17 people stood up. So that's a fun story, but it's not true, right? Because Radley Metzger was actually the writer-director of the film, and it has very little to do with the book, other than just this plot device of a woman who decides to cheat on her husband for sport. And unlike, you were talking about Porn Today, I mean, Porn Today is more like OnlyFans, or Pornhub, so it's all these sort of snippets of things, and there's very little full narrative as far as I know. Yeah. But in the 70s, you had this adult film industry where there was plot and the
1: golden age
0: well yeah of pornos right where there was hardcore sex thrown in but and you're right it was considered the golden age of porno or the porno chic era and I was able to find again reviews of the film and the film has been re-released people like this director here's a quote highly artistic and often cerebral and featured gorgeous cinematography so his work has been added to the permanent collection at MoMA I thought what we would do
1: wait was that a review of the film? Mm-hmm. So he took trash and repurposed it <laughs> well, and made it art.
0: May- maybe. And so I Is thought there a trailer? That we're gonna watch the
1: trailer. So what? I thought we'd watch the trailer together. together. Uh-huh. Right, and now?
0: A, right now. Right now.
1: I don't really. You didn't ask me about that. <laughs> oh, no. So let me get this straight. You sent me the trailer for the porno version of Naked Came the Stranger, and you want me to watch it, which now ruins my search history, I think, a little bit. Oh, no, it, it's fine. I feel like you're pranking me <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of this episode, but yeah, I will yeah. do it. Okay, thank you. I will play it. Well, I know. See, Here we go. You're a hero. Oh, play. Gee, I think this is the best costume party I've ever She's year. at a costume party. And it looks like the worst costume party of the year. And she's waking up. And they have on the weirdest jock straps on their heads. Why are they wearing those, Craig, in, with lingerie? She's just in bed. They seem kind of kinky. Girl. She just <laughs> said that she's a naughty little girl little girl and I need to be punished. punished. And she needs to be punished and she just gave this nerdy boy a whip.
0: I think she gave him several whips.
1: <laughs> now there's uh, a veteran. There's a dildo. there's a black and white makeout scene. Craig. I just saw an orgasm face. She was just doing a face-down O-face. I just saw her booty. She's being whipped. Why did you send this to me? Wait, they're in a silent movie now. That's an artistic touch at the end of this movie. There's a nice uh, promo for the book here, though. And help sales. Okay, I hope you never have to watch that movie. Thank you, Craig. You're welcome. Did you enjoy watching me squirm (laughs) while I watched that trailer? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, you're Um, totally being a trickster today.
0: You can tell, I think, that the movie is at least a little more comic. The, The tone is lighter in the movie.
1: The tone is lighter. Sex just works well on screen. Sex is visual. It's, you know, the image of sex. It's just easier i think than in fiction there's some expectation of seriousness with eroticism and in, in fiction where on screen it can be more playful especially when there's like whips and costumes it's
0: mm, true and i think you missed some of the joke at the beginning when they're getting in bed i mean i think the visual joke of them wearing those things on their chins because you know they're radio personalities so they have to take care of their chins i guess <laughs> their faces
1: Is that what it was <laughs> yeah, apparently it looked like a jock strap
0: so I thought that was a funny visual gag. And then the joke, which you might not have heard, was he's like, who are we having on the show today? And she said a critic. And he's like, oh, I've been wanting to have more intellectuals on. And she's like, oh, no, no, it's a film critic. And so nice. it's a nice little jab. Nice jab. A, nice at the, uh, jab. Yeah, a little meta jab you know. there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I felt like that joke was better than, you know, any of the jokes in the book <laughs> itself. So but, far, I would agree yeah. with that. This movie, again, I think has more fans of the actual work than the novel itself. It was remastered for DVD and mm. was Re-released in 2011, so if if you want to
1: pick it up, no, Craig, <laughs> no. So yeah, that's fine. Are you going to defend it? I'm not. I am I, not you defending. Are defending. I am the not movie. defending the movie. You're I'm telling me that the, the movie book. is better than the book. You just defended it. I mean, I can. I would probably.
0: I haven't seen the movie, but I would just from the trailer, it was better than the book. It doesn't mean it's a good movie. Let's go back to the book itself, though. It did have some other works spun off of it. There have been parodies of it. In 1996, there was a parody called Naked Came the Manatee, where (laughs) a group of Miami writers, including Dave Barry, used the writing of it as a model. A lot of these writers got together and they also wrote their own chapter for this crime novel. It didn't really have a critique of publishing or like a higher sort of purpose, and it was done for charity. Let's go and then look at what happened to some of the People involved. One is the publisher, if you remember who I talked about earlier, Lyle Stewart. He would later become notorious for not just publishing this hoax, but also publishing the Anarchist Cookbook in 1970 and worse, reissuing the Turner Diaries in 1996. Hmm. So he was definitely one of these people who saying he's supporting free speech. Although he is definitely making money from doing that sort of thing. The person at the center of this, Mike McGrady, would go on to write more books. So he wrote Stranger Than Naked or How to Write Dirty Books for Fun and Profit, which was really about this experience. And maybe some of that was in the first episode, his reflections on what happened. He also wrote The Kitchen Sink Papers, My Life as a House Husband. So he took a year off and was a stay-at-home dad while his wife worked full-time. And that was rare at the time. And so he wrote this book about his experiences. He... (laughs) Is <laughs> that so, so, so like a golf clap?
1: <laughs> yeah. There, there not... my uh-huh, Okay. Just one year. Okay. Uh-huh. Trailblazer. Uh-huh. I mean,
0: again, against the current of the time. You Are know. you
1: defending I'm Mike defending. McGrady and the Times. And <laughs> I'm how not defending the Times. They were. Craig. I'm sure they were sexist. So sexist.
0: Right. But I'm just saying that he could have not done any of that, right? Okay, because he's of the Times. Than the rest right. of them. Right. And he was also. <laughs> The other book he wrote or helped write rather ghost written, although I guess he wasn't a ghost because he's on the cover, was Linda Lovelace's memoir Ordeal. So if you know Linda Lovelace, she was an adult film actress in other 1970 films, including Deep Throat. So, You might think that this is sort of inconsistent with Mike McGrady's whole thing about literature, right? Part of the hoax is saying that literature is getting too vulgar and he's sort of exploiting that by sort of saying, oh, the only thing reading public cares about is sex. will just make this novel about sex. But then here he's writing the memoir of an adult film actress. But the memoir was actually about her experiences in the seventies and how they were horrible and how she was raped during the making of a lot of those Movies and how terrible the sex industry was at the time, Yikes! and did called a, a reconsideration of that sort of golden era of porn, and so you can kind of see that it is in a way sort of consistent with you know his sort of thinking, I guess, so that repudiation then kind of makes you think, well, I don't know if I want to see the I Think it came the Stranger movie after all. The one thing Mike McGrady did not write. Is a sequel to "Naked Came the Stranger," and he was offered the equivalent of three million dollars to do so.
1: Wow, I wonder why he turned it down. I, I don't you know. Just I feel mean, they like said they it had, was a group they had project, done it. Yeah. so it mm-hmm. wouldn't be fair for him to take all that cash and write it just himself. I think yeah, that seems disingenuous and
0: true. And, and again, I also think you know that it wasn't about the money, right? That they were trying to make a point. Let's talk about that point. So they're trying to say here is the the degradation of literature. And I have to say that, to me, that reeks a little bit of pretension. And I've been an academic for a while now, and uh, I've had my feel of pretension (laughs) as well. You know, there's a lot of elevating one thing over another, and I'd say that I'm a fan of a genre, for example, horror, that has its fair share of dismissal. And so I'm sort of sensitive to that idea of dismissing things and thinking that they're not worth our time or our value. And I think a lot of times what's being dismissed, Harold Robbins maybe is an exception, is writing by women. You can see these other genres, horror and romance, which are sort of dismissed. I would strangely put those together. I know a lot of people wouldn't, but I think that they're partly dismissed because, and this is a little side note, I suspect that it's because they are genres that often take the body as their subject. And we can think about that or not. But anyway, this dismissal is often couched in terms that are both aesthetic and moral. That it's mm-hmm. a bad writing and is bad for you. I can remember just personally, I was in middle school. I was reading a Stephen King book and the principal came by and he made a point to come over and say that book's going to warp your mind.
1: Really? Yeah. How old were you?
0: Um, I don't know. I guess it's probably in eighth grade. So whatever and an eighth grader is.
1: You went r- straight to the library and checked out a new one? <laughs> Didn't you? It's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was probably right because, you know, when he turned around, I flipped him off. But You
1: were (laughs) far gone by then, Craig.
0: It's true. It was too late. But I did want to go back to The Valley of the Dolls and ask this question. Was it really sex that made that book a bestseller?
1: I don't know. I haven't read it yet. (laughs) I'm going to read it. I can get back to you about that. But I think it's partly sex. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's that anticipation of sex on every page. But I think it's interesting, too, that we didn't really talk about, actually, was that in the made-up blurb for Naked Came the Stranger Mm -hmm. it wasn't just Valley of the Dolls Mm -hmm. it was Portnoy's Complaint Mm -hmm. as well that's true which is like like the most critically acclaimed you know writer Mm -hmm. of of the day Philip Roth yeah I mean and taken very seriously by critics mm -hmm.
0: there was a lot more open sex in books and we could even place it in time right because it wasn't long before that, that you could not write about sex in books, that there was decency laws. And so Ulysses and Lolita and things like that had to go to court because they were viewed as corrupting. Scandalous. Um, Right. With the relaxing of those laws, it did seem that writers felt more open to doing that. But what's interesting is that, you know, you're true that that was on the back of this book, but I didn't see anything where Mike McGrady specifically was complaining about that. It was more of these popular culture novels, and specifically bestsellers, like Valley of the Dolls, and I think that it wasn't sex that made this a bestseller, because one, we we don't know what makes a bestseller. I mean, if anybody knew that, most writers would write them, and publishers would only publish them.
1: Well, there's a million books about how to write a bestseller, right? Sure there, because that's a a grift. Yeah, craft (laughs) books on how to Uh do it, but... It's hard to say whether this would have gotten through the gates. Mm -hmm. So the only reason that it was published is that it was able to sidestep agents and the publishing houses. And it had a surefire way to get into the reading public's hands. If it had had to go through the traditional routes, would would it have been published? But it did get published and... Word of mouth, it did sell a lot of copies. Well, I do want to talk about that. But one thing I want to go back to
0: with Valley of the Dolls that I think is missing from this discussion is that Jacqueline Suzanne was the first celebrity novelist. She was a person who was a celebrity before publishing Mm -hmm. a novel. And so she had a platform. Correct. She's also credited as inventing the first modern book tour. Mm -hmm. So she's essentially the model for all these wishful writers who are on Twitter and She's also maybe, well, I'm just saying that, you know, all these people, whether they want to or not, I mean, think about, she's probably responsible for publishers forcing writers to be on social media today, thinking that they need this platform. If we go back, if we look at that and think about the simple reading of this hoax, that when I look at it in other places and read about in other places, they're saying that it was a success, that they wrote a bad book on purpose, and that the public bought it because the public is dumb and vulgar, that that's kind of the undercurrent. And as you pointed out last time, really, the moral is... Women readers are dumb and vulgar, but I don't believe that. Obviously, I don't believe women are dumb and vulgar. But Greg, you're uh, gonna get <laughs> the hall, I don't right? get canceled. I specifically question the narrative that this hoax was so successful because if you go back, if you remember my sales numbers, and this is the best records that I could find, that if it came out in January, the first printing sold out in September first of 1969. That's after the hoax is revealed. I see it doesn't get to over a hundred thousand copies. Until the end of 1969. So I don't think all these people are buying it for word of mouth. I think they're buying it because of the hoax. And so I I think that's important... To note is that I don't think they prove proved their point that they've made a trash novel that appeals to people's trash interest. And that it was really the hoax that generated the bestseller status or at least propelled it. And so that the notoriety of that hoax kind of proves what Jacqueline Suzanne knew. It's really the marketing machine that produces bestsellers, not bad writing or bad morals.
1: Hmm. But. Yeah, that all very interesting. I think as I think about it, I've just wonder about mike mcgrady and the intentions of the team and who are you to tell anyone what they can and should be reading mm-hmm. it feels a little like they're mansplaining and i know mm-hmm. there were a couple of women on the team but it feels very gendered since women even then were consuming a lot of text mm-hmm.
0: well sarah i'm done telling you the aftermath of a hoax next there's time there's no I'm-
1: more trailers <laughs>
0: I mean, you can rewatch that trailer on your own time. I'm okay. (laughs) All all you would like. Thanks, Greg. You're you're welcome. So next time, I think we're going to read Naked Came the Stranger. So if you want to, you can read along with us or do something better with your time and then just listen to us talk about that experience.
1: (laughs) I have a sad face that you cannot see. I'm excited to talk about your favorite affair. Hmm. That is the only reason I'm in it. Is I wanna know which one you think is the best affair. Which chapter, Craig?
0: All right, there we go. We're, which moments. Yep, and I'll bring we. mine. Okay. And all right. we'll compare. We're gonna we're gonna have a fight about and I'm what...
1: sure you'll defend yours over <laughs> mine. Somehow you will. The writing will be a little bit better <laughs> I, than yours. <laughs> so bad and better than
0: mine. I, I have not made this antagonistic, but alright. <laughs>
1: It's now a competition.
0: I think we can all have our own favorite. See, this is my problem with this whole Mike McGrady thing. It's like, I think we can all have our favorite books and our guilty pleasures. Or You're so nice, <laughs>
1: Craig. I know. Okay. So next episode, guilty pleasures. Yep.
0: There we go. So, Bring it. <laughs> good. Before then, go to tellmeahoax.com to subscribe or wherever you find podcasts and tell your friends so that we can tell them a hoax.
1: Great. Thanks, Craig.
0: Thank you.